You know, today is the second uh, sermon in this series, Fixed and Free. And, um, you know, there, there may be other things that you want to talk about, but we felt like it was, it was really important for us to begin this year by talking about uh, what some of the struggles within our own denomination are, because we think some of those struggles may reflect some of the struggles that you may um, uh, have in your own life. Some of you are coming here from different theological uh, backgrounds other than United Methodists. And um, I'm going to do a little survey, if you will. How many of you uh, came here or grew up United Methodist? Would you please raise your hand? Well, that's a pretty good number. How many of you were, were Baptist? Okay, yeah. How many of you were Nazarene? I talked to some Nazarenes last night. All right. How many of you were were Assemblies of God or Church of God or uh, one of the Pentecostal churches, some of which have Methodist roots. Yes. Okay. How many of you were Catholic? Yes. Uh, how many of you are something that I haven't named yet? Yes. That's good. Something that I haven't named yet was pretty large, actually, wasn't it? Probably Presbyterian, Episcopalian, and so on and so forth, part of the main line. But wherever you came from, we're glad that you are here. And I think that you're here because you believe in what is going on here. And therefore, if there are talks of division and splits within the larger United Methodist Church, some of us would say, so what? Right? As long as it doesn't mess up our mission here and our vision here for the future. Because we think here... We've got some pretty good things going on. I've been the pastor of this church here for 20 plus years. And I know that theologically and politically we are very eclectic. I, I should do a, a raising of hands of who's Democrat, Republican, <laughs> Independent, Libertarian, on and on. But I can assure you it'd be just as diverse as we saw when I had you go through the last little um, test. But, but what we, we realize today is that there is a lot that holds us in common. We are not an activist church, really. I mean, we're really not. I mean, we're not uh, uh, picketing and, and, and really making a big deal about who we are and what we believe in, so on and so forth. We're just trying to do what we believe in. A at the same time, we're not a disobedient church. We're not a church... That, um, that goes against the book of discipline, uh, even though we know some of the words that are stated in the book of discipline that have been under such debate for so many years are hurtful to some. So the bottom line is that what we're talking about related to our larger church and related to divisions is in large part what we see reflected in our, our larger political society uh, and theological underpinning today in our country. And that has to do with matters related to sexuality and issues of, as to whether or not um, uh, certain sexual orientations are compatible with Christian teaching and the sanctity of marriage and also the right of ordination and who can be ordained. Now last week, I thought Scott's message was really good. How many of you thought it was really good? It was really good. Really good beginning. Scott, you see, that was pretty weak applause, but there was, a lot of, there was a lot of spirit behind it. We're not all used to clapping in church, especially on command. It was a fantastic sermon that set this up. 
Um, it, it, it talked about what we've been talking about in our worship planning, uh, the difference between temple and tabernacle theology that was a great underpinning for what we're going to be saying. The only problem with Scott's message last week was that he talked about a guitar. Remember? And he talked about how painful it is when you start playing a guitar, which he knows because he plays a guitar. Not much, thank God. But what... <laughs> He's right. When you start playing a guitar, it, it's painful because you're pressing tender fingers, the tips of tender fingers on steel strings. And until you get calluses uh, uh, developed, it's, it's painful. But the beautiful music, as Scott made the point in saying, comes from the tension, Right? And so he was talking about, you know, are we not a church that can live with tension? Realizing that some of us maybe believe differently than others and we're all here under this United Methodist tent. Thought it was a great point. But he used a ukulele, didn't you, Scott? Now, what? It was a cute ukulele. He had good reasons for using a cute ukulele. It's much easier to handle a cute ukulele. But all of us know that ukuleles do not have steel strings, right? And, and even with the greatest tension a ukulele can bear, it's not going to hurt your fingers, right? And so um, the, the other thing I want to say about a ukulele is that you can only take so much ukulele. <laughs> now, I know this is a fairly younger crowd, but do, do any of y'all know the name Tiny Tim I'm not talking about the one that's in the Christmas deal. Tiny Tim and the ukulele tiptoe through the tulips. Do you know that? Well, you're about to be exposed. Go ahead, hit it. Whatever he did to this song. Turn it up. Whatever he did to this song. This is real. This is 70s great stuff. Don't you love it? How would you like to be in your car trapped for a few hours listening to Tiny? It gets better. This is ukulele at its best, with dynamic singing to follow. This is the Johnny Carson Show. Any of you know Johnny Carson? All right, that's enough. My concern for our denomination is that we will not become a guitar with tension that makes beautiful music, even though it's painful. But we will become four ukuleles. And my larger concern is that the world will not listen too long to ukuleles. It's easier on the finger, but it's not the word that we need to hear that I think is based on the gospel. Now what I mean by that is the United Methodist Church can be divided into four basic categories. There, there's one category that we would call 
the justice category. And that says on these matters that we're, um, we're confronting today, unless we say everything that we've said in the book of discipline that's negative is out of here, and unless we see issues related to sexuality as justice issues, then we are going to quit affiliating with the United Methodist Church because justice is supreme. There are those who uplift the covenant and say, no, it's the covenant that is supreme. And the covenant is what we are about when we all, every four years, agree through a democratic process that we all believe what we put in the book of discipline to be our order. And if it's in the book of discipline, we all obey it. All right? And if we disobey the book of discipline, uh, if, if we allow local churches to decide on matters related to um, uh, to marriage and conferences related to, um, uh, to ordination, then we're out of here. And then there are those who uplift unity. And, and, and these are those who say, maybe somewhat naively, that we believe that we can all stay together, that what we really value is unity. And, and, and we've, we've dealt with these differences for decades now, and why can't we just continue to realize that there's tension when the church is concerned? Why can't we all just stay under the big tent, realizing there are those that are going to be more liberal, those that are going to be more conservative, and a lot in the middle, and let's be united Methodists. And then there's a bigger group, a louder ukulele perhaps, that maybe is represented in this room, and that's the ukulele I'm going to call whatever. Because there's a lot of people who don't really care what's decided at a general conference related to the larger denomination because why you're here is not because of the larger denomination. You're here because you believe in the mission and the outreach and what you and your family are getting from this church experience, particularly this worship experience in this community. And, and you really could care less about those larger struggles. But I dare say if the United Methodist Church becomes four ukuleles, then the mission that holds us together, that mission that is about um, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, the mission that is about here at Lover's Lane, loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ, gets diverted because of the noise. The noise. Now today I want to read two passages of Scripture. One that comes from the more temple uh, perspective, the other from the more tabernacle perspective. And I dare say that both are represented within our denomination and, and within this room today. On the side of the temple, as Scott described last uh, week so very well, it's about being fixed. It's about returning to that place where we find God. Um, and, and being part of that that, that place where the commandments and where, um, where all of the good essence of our faith is uplifted. And the tabernacle is that which embraces more of a free um, moving God that moves us on a journey that, that sometimes can, um, can change things in order to um, have us be more impactful in the world that we are called to serve. Now I want to call our attention to Luke 4. It's on the screens, beginning with the 14th chapter. Now I want us to hear these uh, words out of a scene of Jesus. Luke 4, 14. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, 
He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed be free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. They'd been hearing about all these great healing miracles that Jesus had done. They wanted to see the show. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. Do it right here among the hometown crowd. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all of the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow from Jephthah in Sidon. And here were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, now can you all imagine doing this to Scott one Sunday morning, drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through them in the midst of them and went on his way. That sermon didn't go over very well, friends. And now from the more tabernacling God perspective, we read from John the first chapter, the 14th verse, these words. And the, fle- and the word became flesh and lived or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and full of truth. Amen. You know, what grieves me is that too often in this world in which we live, there is this tendency to divide the us and the them, the templars and the tabernaclers, the ones who believe this way opposed to the ones who believe that way. And I dare say that the world is looking for more than a fight within the church. The world is looking for life answers that will assist us in our living and are living out our faith. We must not be transformed by the world. Remember the larger Methodist mission uh, statement is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we must not be those who are transformed by 
the world. Transformed into haters. Transformed into us and themers. Transformed into those who, it seems, bow at the altar of divisiveness and exclusion. We can't go there and be true to the God of the temple and the God of the tabernacle who is Jesus. The sermon series is not meant to persuade us to a certain point of view that this is right and this is wrong. The, the point of the series is to, is to direct our attention to the fact that there are these ukuleles within the church right now. And, and I dare say that if we go down the road of creating ukuleles, we will go down a road that will make us irrelevant as a church to the larger world who wants to hear a different music. You know, I'm committed to unity within our denomination, but not just for unity's sake. I'm committed to unity, but not what we might see as kind of a fake or a, a temporal unity. I'm committed to unity that is a unity that says we know there are tensions within the church. We know we don't all believe alike, we, but, but we do have so much in common that is enough to hold us together and to move forward to in pursuit of transforming the world, not the opposite, not being transformed by the world. You know, I want us to think as a larger church what an impact it makes on the world if we can say, modeling our Lord of the temple and the tabernacle, Jesus, that we stay together. That we realize even among our differences that where there's more that we have in common that moves us forward in a mission that, that wants to make a difference in the lives of others through the power of God's grace working in and through us. What kind of statement does that make to a world that so easily succumbs to this divisiveness when we can say, we want to be the church that stands for unity in the midst of our differences? We want to be the church that realizes that what another church may do down the street that may be more liberal than what we would do or, or what a church does down the street that may be more conservative, more conservative than we are, what they do doesn't really impact what we do in our mission. We shouldn't be looking over our shoulders at our sister and brother churches. We should be focused on what is our mission and, and our call. And the only way it would make a difference is if what these other churches were doing under our branding of United Methodist was immoral or unethical or anti-Bible or against the grace and truth of Jesus Christ that the Scripture speaks about. That would be the only reason that I think that we should call foul. And yet it's at that very point that is the rub. Within our denomination right now, there are those who say you're upholding that which is immoral, that which is unethical, that which is anti-Bible. And the fingers are being pointed this way and that way and the other. Today we're going to talk about the unifying grace and truth of Jesus. And I want to tell you, you would think that Jesus would be a uniting factor, right? All of us, everybody who loves Jesus, raise your hand. You see, that's nearly everybody. But let me tell you, I've been about this for 35 years in the church, and every church I have served has had a don't say Jesus Sunday school class or a Jesus light Sunday school class or let's don't talk about Jesus in our Sunday school class. You know it? You may have been a part of a Sunday school class like that. That's okay. I never kicked the class like that out of my church. 
Never. Never. It never changed the way I preached either. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, then you might just want to go to Sunday school. You know, I had a leader in our church. She actually led our administrative board when she came into my office some 18 years ago and said, I hate the Apostles' Creed. And if we keep using the Apostles' Creed in church, I'm out of here. I don't like all of that stuff about Jesus being crucified and dead and buried and rose again. And I don't believe that and I don't want to say that. And I, guess what? She left. Because we just can't do church without uplifting the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. There's some who don't like the creed we read this morning. You turn in the back of the hymnal that y'all don't ever use in here. But <laughs> there are 10 or 12 or 15 different creeds. We're going to use a different creed every week, Scott. Yes, All right. And you're going to hear in those creeds what some from the justice perspective would say, now that's a creed I like. And some from the covenant perspective would say, that's a creed I like. And some from the unity perspective would say, that's a creed I like. And some from the whatever say, why are we doing these creeds? <laughs> yeah, creeds. Such is the church. But when it comes to the person of Jesus and the triune God, that is an essential to who we are. We've talked about Jesus' tabernacle, Jesus' temple. I want to tell you who I believe Jesus is. I believe Jesus is my Savior. That Jesus has done for me what I can't do for myself. That Jesus, in the work of the cross and the resurrection, which is the very center of my faith, has said, your forgiveness is taken care of by me. It's your choice to embrace it, to accept it. To live into it. It's yours. It's a free gift. And it's given by... No one could give me that gift, nor could I take it from any other place but receive it from Jesus. Savior. Fully divine. And I believe that Jesus was fully human. That the essence of God in Him walked the face of the earth. Lived just as you and I live. Had the same joys, had the same sorrows, had the same pain, had the same tension, had the same feelings and was crucified and died just like you will, just like I will. And he rose again. And if all of that is true about Jesus, then wouldn't rise again be true about him and us as well? Jesus was fully human. And when we embrace that kind of truth about Jesus, then we move into that which we hold in common and the essence of our faith. It's on the bedrock of Jesus. Now, I want to state a few things. One from a professor here at Perkins School of Theology, who, his name is Billy Abraham. He's been at the school for many years. He comes from that more covenant perspective. I need to say that up front. But a few years ago, he wrote an article that made a great impact on me. It was called The Community of the World, and the chapter was entitled Inclusivism, Idolatry, and the Survival of the Fittest Faithful. And in this chapter, he uplifts a t-shirt that he saw that he noted, said, Embracing diversity is embracing God. 
And that doesn't sound too bad, really. Embracing diversity is embracing God. And yet he said, there's a warning in that. We are on the edge of idolatry when we say embracing diversity is embracing God. He goes on to say, so much good has been done in an inclusion agenda. We stand in unity on the point that the church must be rid of racism and patriarchy. I loved what we did this morning with the Martin Luther King images. The question is, have we reached a point that the means in pursuit of the ultimate ends in diversity and inclusion has become what we worship? Hear me, church. You hear that? Is it the diversity that we worship? Is it the inclusion that we worship? Or must it be something else? He says, and I quote, Inclusion arose as a legitimate effort to implement a glorious vision of equality that is embedded in the gospel. We can be grateful for those theologians, liberal, liberationists, and otherwise, who drove home the inclusivist insight. It is now time to get to the news behind the news and to work for a change of speech and subject. It was Christ's cross and resurrection that won the victory over exclusion. It is the same cross and resurrection that will heal us of corruption and idolatry carried out under the banner of inclusion. You know what Billy was saying, and I'm going to put it in East Texas terms, he was saying that inclusion and diversity was not our big idea. It was God's before it was ever ours. And at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, it's level. All of us stand at the foot of the cross as sinners and really unworthy of God's grace. And yet it is at that very foot of the cross that we recognize that our Lord and Savior Jesus has availed grace to all. All. And, and it is in that act that diversity and inclusion rises to the agenda of the church. Because it was God's idea in Jesus to make it so. Friends, we have to understand that that is an important distinction. And I pray this morning that we can be those who are not transformed by the culture to bow our knees toward anything less than God. Let us not worship inclusivity or diversity or justice or covenant or unity or be tricked to bow at the altar of divisiveness and exclusion as well. Let us passionately worship the God that we see in Jesus who stands for all that is good and is godly behind inclusivity and diversity and justice and covenant and unity, but never seeks, never seeks division or exclusion.
One of my mentors still teaches me today, though he's been dead for more than a decade. His name was Bill Henson. And, and Bill um, was passionate about Jesus. I remember he used to tell a story about an old bishop in the Methodist church that he loved so very much. His name was Arthur Moore. And Bill said, we loved Bishop Moore so much in South Georgia that we called him King Arthur. And he said, in Arthur Moore's latter years, he would sit on his porch and he would rock right across, his house was right across from the seminary in Atlanta, Candler Cemetery, Seminary. And the students would come over and make their way to sit at the feet of Arthur Moore. And Bill said, I was working on my THD at the time and I would often go and sit on the porch with Bishop Moore and I would watch those students come and I'd listen to Bishop Moore as he would uh, drill them a little bit. What have you learned today? And They'd tell him about what they'd learned about worship, what they'd learned about church administration, what they'd learned about preaching. And they'd go on and on and he would just delight in their answers and then he'd say, Son or daughter, when, when your schooling's over over there across the street at Candler, there's one thing that you need to be very sure of. If you're going to serve a church today, in this world today, you need to be very sure about Jesus. Very sure about Jesus. Friends, it is my prayer that for our church and for our larger denomination that we'll take a deep breath and back up lest we be subjected to ukulele music for the rest of our lives. And we start with the basics and be very sure about our Lord and Savior. Jesus, and the importance of a relationship with Him. Amen.